Hello and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society and a company's governance affect and are affected by our economy. I'm Bentley Kaplan, your host for this episode. On today's show, we're going to talk about the recent events in Myanmar, following a military takeover of the country. We'll look at how the Norwegian telecom provider Telenor has navigated a very complex few months, and whether using our ESG-powered goggles can give us any insights for investors. Then we'll head into my backyard of South Africa to take a look at the government's most recent solutions to a power crisis, giant floating power stations. While creditors are left scratching their heads at the next chapter in the never-ending saga that is ESCOM, we'll take a deeper dive into the story to figure out what's what. Thanks for sticking around. Let's do this. On the 1st of February, Myanmar's military officially seized power in the country, announcing a year-long state of emergency. This followed an election that saw the party of Aung San Suu Kyi win re-election in a nascent and precarious democracy. Since then, as has been widely reported, civilian protests against the military government have resulted in escalating violence and a growing list of casualties. As of the time of recording, reports indicate that nearly 800 civilians have lost their lives and 4,000 people remain imprisoned, including Aung San Suu Kyi and her political allies. The recent events in Myanmar have provoked debates about human rights and the role of the international community in protecting these rights. And while the international community mulls the ideas of sanctions, diplomatic intervention, or something a little more direct, we are going to skirt around that metaphorical minefield to zoom in a little closer. Because in the background, far away from the geopolitical stage, investors are running their own numbers, trying to figure out their role in the story and exactly what's at stake. So I wanted to take a look at what's happening to companies operating in Myanmar, and specifically what's happened to Telenor, a Norwegian telecom company that provides service to around 18 million of Myanmar citizens. And I can think of nobody better to take us through that story than Siu Liu, straight out of MSCI's New York office. So Telenor has been operating in Myanmar since 20, 2013. As a Norwegian telecom company, they generate about 40% of the revenue from Nordic countries and the rest from several Southeast Asian countries. The data network was ordered to shut down by the military authorities in Myanmar. So uh, since March 2021, Telenor's revenue from mobile data was almost cut in half. They decided to write down the total revenue as of their Q1 2020, um, but they decided to continue operating in the country by providing the basic uh, connectivity services such as mobile calls to the local citizens. Now, just to clarify, CU mentioned Telenor's $780 million write-down in Q1 of 2020, but she meant to say 2021. Like me, CU is now officially existing in pandemic time, which is basically when time stops and accelerates simultaneously. And a write-down of that magnitude is a big deal, in 2020 or 2021. The company's operating environment in Myanmar got turned on its head. And as a telecom company, the only way Telenor can keep operating is with the explicit approval of the government, military or otherwise. But here's the thing. Before all of this shook out, as an investor that's thinking about ESG, you would maybe have been looking at Telenor and thinking, yep, this looks like a pretty solid company. If we take a quick look at the MSCI ESG letter rating of Telenor, as of the 19th of May, it's a triple A, which is the highest possible letter rating we can assign to companies. And we measure Telenor on six key issues. In five out of six of these, 
it compares very well to other telecom companies. Especially when we look at how Telenor manages its workforce, risks from data privacy and security, and the company's corporate governance practices. But look, the company isn't perfect. You could argue that there is no such thing as a perfect company, even in the lofty heights of a AAA rating. There may be a couple of data points that would make a crafty investor take a closer look. And maybe the best place to start would be in the risks that a company takes on when it decides to become a telecom company in the first place. One piece that we look at is network, for example, network restrictions or any uh, shutdowns or any other type of uh, restriction to access of communication um, that are putting place in the region that they are operating. Uh, we understand that as a telecom operator, being operating in a certain geographic uh, regions imply some inherent uh, political risks. I guess from their perspective, it's also a decision or it's also a balancing act between uh, exiting out of uh, controversies versus being in a high-risk environment, but trying to improve or trying to manage the reputational risk. In Talonor's case, exiting may be a option, but they serve 30% of Myanmar's population. I guess from an investor's perspective, when companies are involved in certain controversies, it's also helpful to look at the context and, and to look at their uh, different priorities when they are involved in certain um, uncertainties or political risks. To quote CU, inherent risk. If you're playing poker, this is the ante. The risk you assume up front before your cards are even dealt. And for telecoms, the ante is pretty sizable. They're operating in a really tricky position. As CU tells it, they're providing basic essential services, communication, to millions and millions of people. And if you're providing that service in stable democracies, that can mean being heavily regulated, watched closely by anti-competitive agencies and financial conduct authorities. But in markets where the winds of power change from year to year, telecom companies may be worried less about anti-competitive probes and much more about political risk, about being embroiled in a complex conflict with no clear resolution. So telecom companies have to walk a very fine line and have to have a very good sense of balance. They've got to work out whether the risk of controversies, fines and reputational impacts are worth the juice of providing communication access to global citizens and naturally earning some revenue along the way. So one part of the ESG story of Telenor and Myanmar is the risk of the telecom industry more broadly. But where things get more interesting is in how CU and her telecoms team would start looking at how well a company manages these inherent risks, what it does to offset the ante. In order to minimize the reputational risks that could occur, uh, we look for a company's management capability. For example, for a telecommunication operator, we look at whether the company is part of any external industry initiatives that upholds freedom of expression. Telenor actually has been a longtime member of this global network initiative, which is alliance group that um, includes telecom, internet company, um, and human rights organizations that aim to help company uphold freedom of expression. In current circumstances in Myanmar, they've been quite transparent with what they're being ordered to do, uh, what they're experiencing, and they emphasize that they had to pay the licensing and the legal fees to the military authorities, which under normal circumstances, they're just business as usual fees paying to um, the local authorities. But they decided to be proactively saying that so that it's not getting misinterpreted by international community. 
what we're looking for is whether the company is aware of you know the juggling act between you know complying with local rules versus managing their reputation abroad or managing their reputation when facing international investors who also hold certain standards. Exactly, investors may not be looking at telecom companies and expecting them to make risk just disappear. It would be great if military coups were a thing of the past, but for many companies, they will remain a reality. Instead, what an ESG analysis can tell you is how well prepared companies are to manage these risks or events if they do happen. Tenel has been squeezed into a very tight spot, but as far as CU can tell, they're doing an okay job at balancing the broader interests of all stakeholders. Sure, they took a write down and had to close their data channels, but they opted to stay in the country to keep providing ongoing communication services for their 18 million customers. And even though they may have limited influence over the military government, they are trying to engage. But for investors, maybe most importantly of all, the company is taking great pains to be transparent and making apparent efforts to stick as closely as possible to the commitments they made in the easier days of a pre-coup Myanmar. And from Myanmar, we move across the world, way onto the tippity-tip of the African continent, to a story that is going to end on a ship. But more on that later. For now, please do join me in my bedroom slash podcast studio, where I have been carefully planning my recording and interview times around something called load shedding. Which, in simple terms, is when ESCOM, the national power utility, strategically cuts off power to parts of the country. Because, well, there isn't enough power to go around. There's a schedule, different stages, and an independently produced app that helps navigate a painfully complex rotational schedule. But I digress. See, it's because of these scheduling acrobatics that I think a lot more about my power provider than maybe some of my global colleagues that can flip a switch and be fairly certain of the outcome no matter what time of day it is. And as my colleague Valina Karadzova pointed out, it's that very ubiquity and general liability that makes most utility companies a pretty bankable bet. Investors really like utilities because uh, they spend a lot of money. So it is a really big uh, investment opportunity uh, for for creditors in particular as well. And, uh, you know, it is a basic service that they provide. uh, So they're reasonably safe investment as well. And this adds to to their popularity. However, obviously, uh, national Uh, National circumstances vary from country to country. Utilities are structured in a different way. Uh, So um, this is the general case, but obviously there are some variances. Mm -hmm. Some variances, a nice way to put it. And ESCOM arguably is right around the edges of that variation. And that's because ESCOM has a captive market. It's a vertically integrated utility that for decades and up until very, very recently was the only company that could either generate or distribute electricity in South Africa. A utility whose debts are guaranteed by the government. And while that may make for an enticing investment opportunity, the disclaimers are pretty lengthy. See, you can pull on the threads from most major news items in South Africa, and they'll end at ESCOP. Arguably one of the centers of South Africa's state capture controversy, new allegations continue to surface about how the company was used to drive political agendas and inflate government contracts. And before I lose myself in an impassioned rant, it's helpful to get a little perspective. Because alleged corruption aside, this is still a utility company. 
and an investment opportunity. But as a more cool-headed Valina explains, not all utilities are created equal and not all are managed equally either. Obviously, there are, there are exceptions and some exceptions are better than others. And when we think about ESCOM, it is a really very interesting uh, case study. Unfortunately, the company has been levered uh, really highly. Spending hasn't been controlled very well. Um, the recovery of the expenditure hasn't been quite up to speed uh, for all of the time. And for a company like ESCOM that has really a lot of expenditure to do because of struggling infrastructure, starting with a high level of debt um, is not ideal because a lot of the cash flow that the company generates actually goes to service the existing debt. So it's really kind of a perfect storm for ESCOM because they really need to spend a lot in maintaining an old uh, asset base. Uh, they really need to spend a lot to support the growing population and growing, growing economy. They need to spend a lot because the assets are really uh, carbon intensive. ESCOM has one of the highest carbon intensities per megawatt hour generated in um, in the utility space, it is around one tons per megawatt hour. And the average for the companies that we're looking at um, at MSCI at the moment is about 0.4. So they really don't have a lot of space to maneuver in terms of cash coming in and cash going out. And while ESCOM is trying to balance the cash in, cash out dynamic, South Africa citizens are trying to navigate the lights on, lights off dynamic. Load shedding has been with us since 2008, so it's getting a little long in the tooth. Which is why there may have been some celebratory toy-toying around candlelight when the government announced that it had found a solution to our electricity woes through an emergency power procurement program. And that instead of the pesky steps of actually building anything new or trying to retrofit an old grid with new technology, our savior would literally be sailing in on a power ship, or at least on five power ships. Giant floating power stations that run on natural gas and after dropping anchor not so discreetly in a local harbour, can just be plugged into the national grid. Easy peasy. Now, I would be remiss in my duties as a host if I hadn't mentioned that there has been some pushback on the idea over the costs, over the time frame, with some saying that procuring emergency power in a 20-year contract is questionable, the potential environmental impact, and the lost opportunity in not using the funds to build out more sustainable energy sources. The government still has a month or two to officially approve the project, so the outcome remains in the balance. But for ESCOM's creditors, the decision taken by the government could have long-lasting consequences for an already cash-strapped utility. It's really when you're in such a situation, spending money wisely is kind of the key, and this is what creditors would be, would be looking um, at the company to, to, to do, especially if they would eventually have to foot the bill for, uh, for that decision uh, as well. So... We just did um, some really high-level calculations, and given the, the falling costs of, uh, of renewables, just looking at options like solar, and South Africa is um, generously uh, blessed with, with that resource. Maybe just solar or solar combined with a battery, because what we are after is actually having power available at a particular point in time. Just the high-level calculations show that perhaps a similar, if not even larger, capacity could be delivered with a solar and battery battery solution. On top of that, 
that's a completely carbon-free solution and it would help ESCOM uh, in their longer-term decarbonization that needs to happen um, anyway. So that would, um, that, that, that would also add to, to, to the attractiveness of this option. Yes, maybe it may not be available straight away as an emergency power ship, but at the end of the day, weighing locking up the company in a 20-year long-term contract and perhaps uh, a solution that may take a year or two longer. That's something that probably has to be taken, uh, taken into account and into perspective. So there you have it, from a more objective voice than mine, one not currently having to navigate power cuts in a chilly winter. And I would expect that some of ESCOM's creditors have also run some back-of-the-envelope calculations on what a renewable energy alternative could look like for the utility's long-term future. Creditors that may be looking at South Africa's recent pledge to more aggressively reduce its emissions and trying to square the circle with five power ships. Because even for a state-owned utility that has managed to operate largely independently of global trends for so long, it seems like it's going to be increasingly difficult to secure investments for a long-term future that doesn't include low-carbon solutions. And that is it for the week. It's been great to spend some time on a couple of stories, to dig into the complexity of Telenor's operating environment, and to understand how a company might have to weigh competing stakeholder interests and try to navigate some unmanageable risk. And to be able to swing a little closer to home, to see how a power company with a check had passed may be preparing to add another check as its government looks for short-term fixes to long-term challenges. And ultimately, in showing how ESG can add value for investors, no matter what you're investing in and no matter where it happens to be. A massive thanks to CU and Valina for their take on the news with an ESG twist. Thank you very much for tuning in. Be a dear and rate and review us wherever this is hitting your ears. Subscribe to have our latest episodes find their way right to you, no mess, no fuss. And do let us know what you're thinking, what you want to hear more of, what's hot in the world of ESG. We love to hear from you. But for now, it's a sweet, sweet goodbye from me. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc. subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research, LLC, a registered investment advisor and the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.